Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Glad that you could join me. This is another episode from the archive. So this is an episode that we recorded last year with my good buddy, Nick Grantham. Nick has actually changed his role since we last spoke. You'll hear him talk about what he was doing in the current episode, but now he is the head of strength and conditioning for the Newcastle United Football Club. So Nick always has his hands in a lot of different things. It's what I think makes him such a great coach. Um, these are just my beliefs. You don't have to uh, share them, but I think that any time you can dabble in different realms with what you do, that it makes you a more talented professional. I know that idea for some reason is really contentious in strength and conditioning. I've been to my fair share of conferences where people feel like, uh, you know, unless you're batting down and in the trenches and doing the same thing day after day, that you're just not in it for the right reasons. But I think that anytime you have a chance to work on the private side and team setting and in other vocations in general, you're always going to come back with new, fresh, great ideas. And realistically, guys, we see this in every profession. You look around and nobody truly successful over the course of time just specializes in one thing. I mean, you can look at Leonardo da Vinci and everything that he studied. You can look at people like Steve Jobs and everything that he studied. I mean, I feel like I have to say this a lot, but it's not like Steve Jobs just stayed in, uh, you know, the trenches making computers himself. Eventually he evolved and he was a leader and he took different roles and he was eccentric and he did a lot of different things. But most great people do a lot of different things under the umbrella of that domain. So, you know, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. And unfortunately, most of the people that I think need to hear that message aren't probably listening to the podcast. But I think that anytime you can do things that like Nick has done, where you've dabbled in a variety of different domains, it makes you better. And that's a lot of what this episode is about. A couple other updates. So we, as you, you hear this, we actually just finished up our Art of Coaching apprenticeship in Atlanta, Georgia. It was a lot of fun. We always have a varied group of professionals. We had physical therapists, strength coaches. We had some folks on the admin side. Um, as I mentioned in the past, we even had somebody in the FBI come to an apprenticeship. Guys, these aren't about strength and conditioning, even though I'm a strength coach, believe it or not, not everything I talk about is strength and conditioning. These are leadership focused workshops that are entirely centered on the science of communication. And we use role playing case studies, a lot of different outputs for you to actually use the material you learn, not just sit there and learn it through PowerPoint. And we have a lot more coming up on in March 6th and 7th. I'm going to be in Winnipeg, Canada. We're going to be doing these and these are all on artofcoaching.com backslash events guys which we'll put in the show notes uh, i'm going to be in missouri we're going to be in chicago we're going to be in michigan uh, perth sydney we are going to be in newberry park california between now and i think july or august we're going to be in at least three or four different countries maybe even five depending on uh what goes on this weekend and we're going to be in a lot of different states teaching these things so if you're interested at all and again it's not strength and conditioning related. Uh, we have strength coaches for sure. We have other professionals. This is for anybody that wants to become a better communicator. And I say this all the time. There are people that think that they're good communicators just because they have to communicate daily in their job. That's very much like saying you're getting better at marriage just because you're married. No, you have to work at these things. Communications can cause a lot of things to come unraveled. And these are things that your technical expertise are not going to be able to fix. So, uh, you know, I always feel like this is a no brainer to directors, leaders, managers, things like that. But for some reason, strength coaches are an inherently skeptical crowd. Uh, and I get it, you know, I, but like for stuff like this, it, it seems pretty straightforward. We all need to learn how to communicate better. Um, now I'll admit these are not comfortable workshops to come to. They're hard. 
They are. They're hard for everybody. And that's been one of the things that people have said about them is these are some of the hardest yet the most fun and simply the most addicting workshops because you have to put a lot of skin in the game. There's no hiding. Now, the good thing is, guys, they're created in a manner that makes them a safe place to fail. It's a place where coaches can refine and uh, alter strategies and experiment, deal with different levels of conflict, power dynamics, and all these things. You don't really get a practice for that. A lot of times you're subject to power dynamics, and we heard episodes on that earlier, especially the one with Darren Burgess. Uh, and, you know, it's hard. You can study them and you can do all that, but you need to be put in these situations again and again and again. And that's what allows you to adapt, and that's what allows you to become a chameleon which is exactly the theme of today's episode. All right, I'm going to quit talking. Enjoy this one with Nick Grantham. Reach out to Nick whenever you can, if you can. Don't do the old, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Go out of your way. This guy deserves a little bit more than a cup of coffee because he's just such a generous human being, and I know you'll love this episode. All right, guys, take care and enjoy. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Nick Grantham. I don't get to talk to Nick as often as I'd like, but anytime we're in the same area, we always uh, we always have an interesting mix of conversation, usually uh, making fun of ourselves, making fun of each other. Every now and then we'll make fun of some other folks like Darren Roberts, who you've heard me take the piss on a certain uh, number of times on the podcast uh, but Nick, I really appreciate you making the time coming on, man. Wow, he's got a mention already within 30 seconds. That's unbelievable. He'll be buzzing, Darren. Will I, know, about that. I know, we'll, we'll have to have him on at some point. <laughs> uh, no, thank you very much for inviting me on, uh, Brett. It's a pleasure to be on, mate. Yeah, no, I, it was a no-brainer to get you on because I always talk about how the point of the Art of Coaching podcast is kind of, uh, it, it's a little bit, or at least it's geared to be the podcast kind of for the everyman or woman. Like it's not, you know, we we never want to talk about fluffy topics. We always want to kind of dive in and don't really want to pull any punches. And you're somebody from the first time I met you at the ASCA. Um, you've always embodied that. So I hope you bring that to the show and just kind of go as you normally do. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think that that's where we first sort of met in person. And, and my, uh, my presentation uh, was fairly straight to the point. And uh, hopefully very authentic. Uh, I think one of the things that annoys me when I go to conferences is p- when people present the, the the ideal world scenario and I'm looking at it thinking there's no way that program is getting delivered in, in reality. Um, so I just like to show people warts and all. This is what we do and uh, this is what works. And I think that probably helps some of the uh, coaches, yeah, aspiring, no, yeah. yeah, aspiring coaches and older coaches to go, actually, well, geez, um, that's exactly what I'm figuring out how to do. Um so yeah, hopefully that that will come across today. Yeah, no question. I mean, you're easily and if any, you know, if you guys are listening to this, Nick is hands down one of the best presenters, if not the best that I have ever seen. So you definitely need <laughs> yeah, to go see him. He gives you, um, I, I think, clinically what they refer to as slide envy, where every time, <laughs> every time I I've about had it in terms of my own presentation design, a bit like man, like sometimes I just want to get the information out there. I don't want to 
worry about making the slides, you know, so damn visually appealing. I look at Nick and I'm like, fuck, if I don't, nobody's ever going to listen to me, especially if you follow him. Can you, can you give a little bit about your background uh, in terms of not only coaching, but then how you got into speaking? And if you, if you try to slide through your Taekwondo years, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to be pissed because that's a really interesting fact as well. But can you give the listeners a little yeah, bit insight into Yeah, I don't life? usually talk about my Taekwondo stuff, um, but I, well, I can do. Um, so I, I guess it kind of links into how I got into strength and conditioning i left school when i was 16 i left school early uh, i wasn't the sharpest tool in the box at, at school i didn't know you could go to university do things like sports science so i did what everyone in my family does and that's get a safe job uh, i worked in banking for for two years i was terrible at that i closed the wrong accounts so i looked at people's accounts that i shouldn't have like my dad's and all those sorts of things uh, to see how much money they earn um and then I left that and went into the insurance business. And again, I sucked at that. I was awful. And these were sort of safe jobs, but it was nine to five grind, live for the weekend type thing. And um, as you sort of mentioned there, I did Taekwondo um, and I was, I was, quite good at taekwondo and we were at a training session and uh, one of my colleagues uh people listening to this will probably know alan cosgrove um we, we used to compete together um he was studying sports science and, and i was like well what what is it how did you get into that and he explained it to me um and i went back to night school i studied uh got the grades that i needed to get into university i was the first person in my family to go to university i think everyone when i announced i was going to do that kind of looked at it with a little bit of yeah okay whatever um but but yeah I went to uni studied hard uh did did four years there undergraduate postgraduate in exercise nutrition science whilst uh, doing taekwondo at, at the same time um and then very fortunate really where in the UK sports science was uh in its infancy um I got a job straight out from university working uh, as a exercise physiologist with the British gymnastics team. And, and that was kind of crazy because that's the sort of job I would have expected to be doing in 10, 15 years. And I was straight out of uni and, and in. Um, so you, you learn very quickly that uh, there's a big difference between what you learn at university and actually what you deliver in practice. So that was kind of a baptism of fire. Uh, I then went to the England netball team as a strength and conditioning coach, probably one of the first S&C coaches by name. In, in the UK, it, it's still a very young profession in, in the UK even now. Um, and then I went to the English Institute of Sport. I think I was employee number five or six, I think, at the English Institute of Sport. So I headed up a strength and conditioning department in one of the regions. Uh, and that's really where I cut my teeth on on multi-sports and, and found the joy of working across up to sort of 20 different sports. Um, and I think that's where... I found a, a niche, I guess, of being a specialist generalist, um, working across multiple sports, being that kind of chameleon that can change how he acts and what he does depending on who's in front of him. Uh, and then 2007, I did something that not many SNC coaches or, or sports scientists were doing at that time, and I just went out as my own freelance consultant, um, which everyone thought was risky. Um, but I figured staying in, in one job uh, was also quite risky. So I, I, I took the plunge and um, I've been working in a range of sports for the last 11 years from um, Great Britain's women's basketball, uh, taking them to the London 2012 Olympics, um, professional football, premiership, championship, uh, England national youth teams in football and downhill mountain biking. So 
got quite an eclectic mix there, uh, Brett. That was that was whistle stop tour. Yeah, no. If I'm hearing you correctly, I mean it's a combination of not only you know the night school side of things and how taekwondo really led into a, you know the diverse interests in terms of sports performance and everything else, but the biggest thing I heard you, again, if I listened well, was talking about that specialist generalist approach where you really got interested in supporting athletes across this diverse range instead of doing what I think so many other coaches do, at least here in the States, where they participate in this kind of, or at least they they almost fetishize this equivalent of early coach specialization. They feel like they only need to work, oh, it's got to be American football or it's got to be baseball or it's got to be this. I think a lot of people tend to bypass that specialist generalist approach. Um, yeah. How much did that really contribute to your growth? And then what did it really take to be able to do that, to be able to have that chameleon-like quality, like you said? Well, I guess, um, I, I think the States is probably a little bit different to, to the UK in that you've probably got a big, big four sports, I guess. So baseball, basketball, American football. I'm trying to think of a fourth one that you do that's half decent. Um, <laughs> but but I think you've you've got some major sports there, and and that's probably why more of your coaches go into the niche sports. And I guess Olympic sports probably aren't as in the US probably aren't as popular as they are in the UK. Um, in the UK, you've probably got soccer and rugby as your pro sports. Soccer's the only one that probably pays anywhere near a decent wage. Um, so I think. Uh, that that's a slightly different landscape olympic sports are probably a lot more well funded and, and more popular in the uk and probably a, a way in um so i saw the, yeah i'm not sure whether it was a conscious decision or whether it was kind of by circumstances but i felt certainly at the time that there was strength in numbers almost that if i could work across a range of sports in a, in a range of environments and adapt my coaching style to that then i would have career longevity I'd seen a lot of coaches come for interviews that had only worked in football or had only worked in rugby and when interviewed to go and work with a 15 year old gymnast they couldn't adjust their coaching style um, and I, I looked at that and thought well if I want to be doing this until I'm old and wrinkly um, then I, I want to be able to work in a, in a wide range of sports and um, yeah I, I think for a while um, I was a little bit embarrassed about being this specialist generalist because everyone says you're like you're either a big S or you're a big C or little S, little C, you know, all these sorts of things that get banded around in terms of strength and conditioning. But I was like, I'm quite happy being good at a lot of different things. I think that would give me the, the longevity that I'm looking for. Yeah, I think it's always fascinating how we tend to, I mean, we understand this stuff in regards to athletic preparation, the importance of aspects of cross training and building a bigger motor skill cache. But again, we, we kind of live in this time where people get so caught up in what they can measure as opposed to understanding humans and, and, and being able to connect with a wide and diverse array of them and not really understanding that it's not either or, right? There's this tie-in that if you are a generalist and you do understand many different concepts, a la somebody I mentioned a lot on the podcast, a Leonardo da Vinci or so many other people. I know a popular example is always Steve Jobs and how he studied design and, and all these things that it really does help you, uh, you know, build a more robust outcome, not even just set of skills, a more robust outcome, something that sticks more with the athlete because as a teacher, you're more effective. Not even, not even just as a practitioner in general, like the technician side of things, but as a teacher and somebody that can convey these messages in a way that relate to a lot of different uh, learning preferences or a lot of different uh, hobbies. I mean, you work 
some of the athletes you work with and have worked with in the past aren't aren't on the normal continuum of of uh, what many would consider mindset wise. They've done some pretty extreme and unique things. So, what was there was there a hard part in you being able to even have you always found that regardless of the athlete and their background and their skill and whatever that you've always been able to connect with them, or was there a certain kind of athlete that really kind of threw you through fits at some point in your career where you were failing at the communication and connection piece? Um, listen, I'd, I'd like to think that I connect with everybody that I work with, but I can certainly think of some, some misses that I've had. Um, I can think of a professional, when I worked at a professional football team, there were some players there. It was, it was kind of my first time into a pro football environment and I went in with kind of the approach I used with Olympic athletes because that's what I was used to up until that point yeah sorry to interrupt you but you're talking about proper you're talking about proper soccer yeah I'm talking about soccer yeah 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 I'm sorry um no you're fine (laughs) so I went into there and I tried to sort of I I had a mindset of applying the same sort of principles that I'd used for, for 15 years with Olympic athletes and I probably did a really bad job on reflection and I can think of one player, one, one player and myself, we just, we just didn't connect. And it was, it was probably horrible for, for that season and, and was partly why I walked away from that, that role because I was like, I'm just not enjoying this. And, and he probably wasn't enjoying it either. I was probably useless. Um, so I, I did reflect on that and think about my approach. Um, I had another where I started to work in motorsports very brief, briefly um, and probably on our first meeting I think if myself and the athlete were honest on our first meeting we probably went do you know what we don't really click it we are from two very very different worlds but I think for whatever reason we, we, we thought we'd you know work at it for sort of four to six weeks and, and it just unraveled and and again a colleague of mine went and then worked with that athlete and they had a fantastic uh, working relationship for a number of seasons um, so I think it's just recognizing I think hopefully you can find common touch points with every athlete you work with and adjust your coaching style but I think there may be occasions when it's best to go do you know what you and I are not suited uh, but I think you'll work really well with this coach one of my colleagues um, so yeah I, I don't know if that kind of answers your question yeah, no, absolutely. I just think that, you know, and and sorry for any listeners. I know some sometimes just the uh, internet connection, it sounds like it's going out a little bit when you're talking about the motocross uh, piece. But yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the thing that I've found that most coaches aren't equipped with, and this isn't something that is an age thing. I don't even think this is an experience thing because people can have the same experience again and again and again. It's more of an exposure thing here. I think a lot of coaches don't know how to handle that side of things. Like what happens when shit goes bad from the communication piece or better yet, like everybody has had a really bad coaching session where you felt like no matter what you know, and no matter how well you know the athletes or how long you've worked with them, that, you know, for some reason or another, things just didn't vibe during that session, right? It it seemed like there was this big gap. And I'm just, I, I always want to help coaches extract learnings from people like yourself that have been in this so long, like, how do you recoup from that? How do you address that? Like, what are thoughts that go through your head? Because you'd be surprised, Nick. And you know this just from going to conferences. These are things that coaches struggle with, but very rarely want to talk about. And they're looking for, all right, well, that sucked. How? Let's say something did go bad for you today in a coaching session, just awful. Like, what are some strategies or things that you use just to, or do you just brush it off and say, screw it? You know, that's one, that's one situation out of the last 10 that's been kind of odd. 
and just stay the course and see if it's more of a long-term thing. Can you walk us through your thought yeah, process? I, I, I probably navel gaze quite a lot. I probably sit and <laughs> look at my belly button quite a lot. And cause, cause like you almost feel like you failed. Um, so you always want to do the best job you can. So I remember with the, with the guy from the motorsports, I'm like, why, why are we just not hitting it off here? Why are we just not connecting? And, and you do see it as a little bit of a failure, but I think you go through that, you kind of, work through all the things that you've done leading into that and you know you may take some learning points from it or you may just go actually we just were two very different people that were never going to work together and once once I got to that point I was I was really fine with it and when my colleague phoned me up and said look I think I'm going to be working with this guy I was like mate this is what my experience was you 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 attack it from your end as you see fit and as i say they had a, they had a great time i think um a recent experience that i've had i worked with the england under 18s uh with their youth football team and all of the age groups came together all the, the physical preparation coaches came together and we, we were asked to tell a story about our experience um working with those groups and um i i kind of laid myself bare really and I, i'm quite comfortable doing that you know at 47 years old uh, i don't mind ex- expressing when i've made made mistakes so um I, I i told a story about my first experience going into a new training camp with new staff players systems and processes and within within about 48 hours i was a broken man i'm like this is not for me i don't want to work with this squad I, what is going on um i'm i'm struggling with the technology and i'm kind of in this bubble you're working 14 15 hour days you're under the pump um and you know I, I remember standing in the in the hotel room and I just sort of had a chat with myself and went right just do the important stuff forget about the technology forget about the gps sort out the relationships speak to the coaches work with the players get that drilled down and all of a sudden the the, the next 5 or 6 days just became a whole lot better and then I sat with a colleague during one of the games and said, I've been experiencing this problem. And he's like, oh yeah, me too. And four of the other guys are having that as well. And I'm like, oh wow, I thought I was the only one. So I think um, that that was a really useful exercise. It was quite a brave exercise. Every coach had to get up and tell a story that kind of laid themselves bare. And what I saw was once I'd explained that story and said, hey, at 47, with 22 years experience, I found that first week of camp really tough. And I made mistakes and I wanted to finish on on the second day. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, you can almost see people breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, if you found that difficult, actually, I found it difficult on my first one and I found it difficult on my one. And what, what that's led to is almost for the organization to look at their onboarding strategies of new coaches and say, look, we make assumptions about skill sets that people come with, but they're still new to that environment. So let's help them integrate better. So yeah, I think we are probably getting better at sharing, but you know what it's like, Brett, in strength and conditioning, it's a very chest-thumping, uh, testosterone-fueled environment where people don't like to share their, their shortcomings. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's one thing that's been um... – one thing that's been nice about doing this podcast, which is something that I, I didn't think I'd do for a long time, is really seeing that there is an audience out there that is, is recognizes what you just mentioned as well and is actually gravitating away from it. You know, And so that's one thing I'm really thankful for the audience and the people that listen to this is they listen to this for the exact opposite of, of that kind of crap. You know, They want to they hear kind of 
these are people that are are really have that growth mindset and want to hear all right like what what Nick's telling me there is he has them as well and what they do is they kind of deconstruct the session and say okay are we trying to bloviate it are we trying to do too many things what can we strip away and I think that goes into something you talk about a lot being brilliant at the basics but what separates from you is people will always say those kinds of things whether it's simple things savagely well you know yeah. all these other I always say fundamentals not fluff but I think more you do a really particularly great job of defining what the hell you mean by that and talking about consistency. And I, I think that this is something that always lends to frustration on my end too, because people will ask these programming questions again and again and again and again, or they talk about individualization <laughs> and they say, Hey, I work with 65 kids or 150 people. How do I individualize all this? Can you talk about kind of the the fallacies and the strategies and and how you approach that kind of stuff and what your take is on all that yeah so look i tony gentlecore posted something uh, on social media about um sophisticated um individualized uh, annual plans and that actually for a lot of general public they don't need that and i replied to him and said Do you know what tony for most athletes they don't need that either you know um and and it's almost like you're you're saying things that I, I don't know how to describe it. You know, it, it, it's just you're you're going against the grain because everyone wants to make stuff sophisticated. And there's this idea of um, Occam's razor, which is basically where you shave away all of the unnecessary and the simplest solutions are often the most elegant and and the best ones, rather than a really complicated solution. And I, for a long time, probably like a lot of coaches, you know, that whole individualization thing. I'm trying to write like thirty different programs, completely different programs, and, and it's killing you. And I'm thinking, especially when I started working at the English Institute of Sport and I had, you know, 100 athletes across 20 different sports coming through and you see 10 people training from six different sports and you go, actually, there's a lot of common elements here, movements or, or ways that they need to produce force. There's a lot of commonality. Yes, each sport is unique, but there's some fundamentals that, that are there, you know, the basics. Let's, let's get good at that first and foremost. Um, so yeah, I think this idea of cutting away the fluff, I think, um, you've already sworn, so that's okay. So I can, I can give my clean version. I'll give my rude version. So at the conference you saw me at in, give in, your rude version. Yeah. yeah. In, in Australia, I, I put this slide up about, and I really believe this. It's like align your program to the athlete, the sport and the resources you've got. Okay. Too many people were trying to write, uh, for, a deconditioned or, or very young in their training age, they've got sophisticated programs with kettlebells swinging off of bars. They're doing dynamic system loading and all, the, all these weird things. I'm like, it's, they can't even do the basics. So the thing that I say is you can only piss with the cock you've got. Um, so, you know, what that means is like work with what you've been given and it might, it might not be massive and it might not be amazing but you know you can get a tune out of it if you if you work really hard so work with what you've got rather than what you think you should have or what you think everyone else is doing um so yeah i'm sorry that's that's a filthy analogy but uh, no 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 you're good man (laughs) so let's let's do a case study here and i'm going to use an example of you know because i get just like you do you get people that reach out on instagram and this and that you know somebody says you know, hey coach, I'm I'm 25 years old and I just got my first job with a rugby team. And, you know, I'm working with uh, a number of athletes that, that feel like they need to be doing something a, a little bit more unique. I have a, a strength coach who I respect that I report to that, you know, has kind of put me in charge of a lot of the return to play and 
and things like that. And we use a ton of monitoring, but I'm having trouble getting athletes to commit to really looking at what we measure, really going hard in the weight room. And, you know, they all just feel like they need to be doing something special. What do I tell these guys and how do I manage it? And the reason that case study, right, is different because now, now you have different stakeholders. You got a kid that needs to communicate to the athlete. They also don't want to, you know, take a piss on, you know, the, the head strength coach, their boss's stuff. How, how, like what, what's some general advice of how you tell them to kind of manage that situation? Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I can talk to you about uh, when I went into a premiership football team um, and this was, this is part of going back to what we talked about earlier about doing lots of different sports. The good thing is you go into a new sport and they see it as a weakness, but I see it as a strength. I'm like, I just ask the stupid questions. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Um, so that you, you can cut to figuring out what's the big thing that's not being done, that if we do that, we'll get a, a big payoff. And it's it's the low-hanging fruit sort of thing, you know. So when you go into a professional Premier League football club, if you go into a, you know one of your American football teams, and it's it's got to be amazing, but I, I look for three things. Uh, it's three A's, and I got this from a colleague. It's attend, adhere, and adapt. So at the soccer club... Can you, so I, can you repeat that just again, yeah. just so the audience can write it down? Yeah, it's attend, adhere, and adapt. Thanks. And that's kind of what I work on, uh, this, this idea of consistency. So first of all, uh, my first season now, I had five players that even knew where the weights room was. So I could have gone in for a year on year and just worked with those five, but that's not going to affect the change. So how do I get them into the facility? What do I need to do to get them attending? So when we talk about innovation, my innovation was to have a register. You know, Wow, that's super sophisticated, Nick. But we kept a check of who trained, when they trained, how long for. And then very quickly over time, you build up a picture of, okay, well, the guy, guess what? The guys that train twice a week get an 11.6% improvement in a performance metric. The guys that train once a week get a 5%. The guys that don't train get a decrease in performance right around November when we need them because of fixture congestion. And then that starts to paint a picture that you can sow gradually to the athletes that, listen, I'm not asking you to come in here and train every day of the week for two hours a day. This is what I need. This is our minimum effective dose. And we worked that out. We said we wanted forty-one, sorry, 51 to 70 sessions over a 40-week season. If you give me that, Oh, we, we will give you performance improvements that hopefully you can then take out onto the pitch and, and improve your performances out there. So, you know, we worked on attendance and we made the facility look better. It still wasn't an amazing facility, but we just tidied it up. That whole sort of broken window theory, you know, we, we put stuff away, we resurfaced the floor, we made it look like it was a place where people wanted to train. Um, we then got them to stick to a program and I, I you know again a lot of my colleagues will probably hate this but give a, a crappy program done well is better than the most sophisticated program that's not done at all so we start why do you think your colleagues would hate that because because everyone's got to have the most sophisticated undulating wave loaded periodized program that's tracking system volume loads and you know I was working with athletes with a very low training age and they, they were playing the premier league but they had a low training age in terms of their strength work so for me it was give them a program that they can be successful at that they can repeat that they can get to learn over a course of a season that we're not constantly chopping and changing the core exercises we may keep five or six exercises that are consistent um, and then we give the what you were talking about the the variation and the 
um, the subtle changes around that curriculum and that and that theme. So we have a consistent theme, and they stick to that program. And once they were sticking to that program, they started to see the adaptations. So they they get that three things. And and we we had players that would really stay on that for maybe two three years, two three seasons. And it wasn't until then that we as a staff were saying actually now they're ready to move on to the more individualized program. So you'd have a squad of twenty five. So you'd probably have 15 to 18 of those players on a fairly generic, I guess, the term that I liked, which isn't my term, and I'm, I'm gutted it's not, but this idea of collective individualization, where you have a, a, a curriculum and a theme, and then you just tweak it around the edges. So we had probably the main group on a collectively individualized program, and then another seven or eight that were on a more bespoke fully individualized program and I think that's the way to work and it's a process of kind of again it's cliche but evolution rather than revolution you know don't go in day one start hanging kettlebells off getting people to go and do power cleans stepping up onto a box whilst having one eye open standing on one leg you know start with the fundamentals and make sure they can do that properly and you know within a period of time you may then get to the more sophisticated if the athletes needs it. And that's a big if as well. Hey everybody, we're gonna get right back into this episode. I don't want you to miss any of this, but I did wanna remind you that as part of the Art of Coaching audience, if you use the code BRETT20, again, that's my first name, B-R-E-T-T-2-0, BRETT20 at checkout at livemomentous.com, anything they have there, you are gonna get $20 off your first order. If you're not familiar with Momentus, just a reminder, Momentus is the premier sponsor of the Art of Coaching podcast. In short, they're the reason I'm able to bring this information to you guys for free. They're, uh, they help me cover the cost of the podcast and all the other content that I, I'm able to get to you guys. So, you know, their support is huge. Now, if you're not familiar with the products, they have a wide range. Everything from their absolute zero grass-fed whey. And again, guys, this is all whey isolate the purest form of whey, uh, arc fire grass fed whey. Not only that, they have a 100% plant protein for those of you that can't do whey. They have strength recovery and they're always coming out with new and unique products. Now, one of the reasons I partnered with Momentus is I am a minimalist when it comes to any of this stuff. I'm a big believer that consistency in your training, sleep, hydration and just good nutrition are the most powerful supplements. Uh, but there are certain staples that we can't get around and we have to be able to source in the most responsible way possible. And that we also have to just be able to add in through supplementary form, whether that's because we have busy lifestyles, because we have digestion issues, any number of factors. And so, you know, protein and fish oil is really the only thing that I take. Every now and then I might experiment with some other stuff that's all natural, but I'm not really, I'm from the Midwest. So there's a running joke that we kind of grew up on, on steak and milk, but Momentus is absolutely something I am behind 100%. And again, if you just use the code BRETT20 at anything on livemomentous.com, or you can check out the Art of Coaching Momentous link on the show notes, you're going to be hooked up. Thanks again for your support. And now back to the episode. And Nate, what do you think it's going to take to get people? And I ask, I ask a lot of guests this. It's always interesting to get their take. What do you think it really is going to take to get so many coaches in our field off of this obsession with novelty? 
Um, I, 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 I don't know. You know, it's that marshmallow effect, isn't it? And, and that's a that's a great experiment that was done. And it's this. I think it's getting worse as we go on. So this idea of delayed grat- gratification. Um, I, I've always been pretty good. I think it comes back to my martial arts background again, and and particularly making weight, where you know you have to make weight over a period of weeks and months to get to the end point to then be able to fight and do what you're good at. So. I was very good at delaying gratification and waiting to have my cake at the end of the end of the fight and have a few beers rather than having it right away. And again, I, I remember someone saying to me at university, you know, it's like, yeah, you can go to the the big party, but basically what you're saying is that party today is more important than your goal in in six months' time. And I think that's what we're seeing in in the profession is that there's people are so nervous about their jobs, particularly in professional sport, that rather than being it for the long run, they're willing to sacrifice their long-term goals for that short-term fix in front of the coach to go, yeah, yeah, look, we are doing this really amazing program because that's that's what they think is going to give them the longevity. And I, I think it, that's a very fickle uh way of going you know it's that marshmallow effect i've got to have it now i've got to have that instant gratification whereas i i'm a bit more confident of saying actually this is the process that i believe in this is what's going to work we will get there but it's going to take some time um and i think it's i think it's getting worse brett because of social media and stuff like that particularly instagram and and whatever has a lot of positives but it does also sell to emerging coaches and even even coaches like myself who's been doing it for 22 years it does sell this idea of look what you could have now this could improve your performance today and that's where your athletes then start to gravitate towards as well because that's that's the world they live in so i think what i try and do um, and this is from another colleague mark jarvis talked about positive pollution so within my curriculum that i have that's kind of being brilliant at the basics i will also allow a little bit of positive pollution to come in there if it keeps the player hooked and keeps them in the program so do you know what um if they want to do something that they've just seen on insta i've, I've got a downhill mountain biker that loves to do massive box jumps and i'm like i i hate these things the way you're doing them but if i take that out of his program he's probably not going to engage with me and he and he's probably going to do them anyway so let's at least put them into your program and it's got the least um, deleterious sort of effect on, on, on his overall program. So I like that idea of positive pollution. Yeah, it's a good phrase. I think, and just so the listeners, I'm going to recap for them because, again, there was a little bit of audio delay. What, you know, yeah. what Nick is talking about is hyperbolic discounting, you know, and that's when you look at the marshmallow effect, as he, as he eloquently put it, you know, just people are always going to gravitate towards the short term instead of looking long term. This is why we see investing issues at the time of this recording, right? Like the, the financial market has been in, at least in the U S has been on a seven week low because of trade wars and this and that, and then people perceive things. And now everybody sells their stocks and their investments because they're freaking out. And there's research that has shown no matter how long you look at the markets, if you just stay there and weather the storm, you're always going to come out better than if you just let your emotions rule. But with that hyperbolic discounting and people doing whatever they can to say, hey, no, I'm trying to value signal. I'm trying to show you what's going on here. Um, you know, they do that in the short term. And I think it's important. And, and I want you to sound off on this, Nick. I think it's important to continually remind people that this is 
this is way beyond just our field as well. I, cause I just think that we really do get in this rabbit hole of thinking like that this is, Oh God, only the world of performance yeah. deals with this. This is pervasive in leadership as a whole, right? It affects yeah. a leader and no matter what career you're in. And I know that's another thing that you're passionate about is career planning. So yeah. I want to interweave these two, you know, like knowing that so many people will kind of get very emotional about how they manage their career and their perception to the outside world and everything else. What lessons do you have and that you've learned in terms of career planning that kind of builds off the back of that marshmallow effect and hyperbolic discounting? Well, I think, I think it might be an American phrase about field generals, five-star field generals. You know, you don't get that the first day you go into the military. You know, that you don't get what? Sorry. I think, I think it's, they talk about five-star field generals. Or ah, something. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know they don't hand that stuff out the first day you join the the military academy, <laughs> and um, and again, if you look at a lot of the best, the very best coaches, you know, someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, he's he's an older coach, um, and I'm sure you've got American examples where some of the best coaches are, are they've got they've got grey hair, and I think that's one of the things that that uh, again this this age of quick fixes and instant results. People see, and again, it comes back to my, my martial arts days, I think, um, like you had a grading system. You had a belt system that you go through. You you earn your time. I was just talking to my daughter about this last week. You start off as a white belt and you stand at the back of the class. Even if the kid in front of you is, you know, even if I, I'm going there as an adult and I'm 25, if there's a 10-year-old that's got a black belt, they're senior to me. I bow to them and shake their hand. They They're better than me. So... Um, you you progress gradually, and over three years, you then earn the right to stand at the front of the class with the rest of the black belts. But just because you're a black belt doesn't mean you're a freaking ninja, you know. Because I thought once I got my black belt, I was going to kick everybody's ass. No, what you then realise is you're a black belt, but you're the very first black belt. You're a first dan. There are eighth degrees there that have been doing this for thirty, forty years, and they are going to batter you. And I think that's what people need to realize about their education and their career development is that um, the sense of entitlement of coming out of a university with a degree, brilliant. What that tells me is you can study, you can pass exams, you can write a dissertation. You've got your black belt. But guess what? You are now in a world full of ninjas and they are going to kick your ass. <laughs> so you've, so you've got you've, you've to start to... Think about, okay, I'm a black belt and I've got a certain level of qualification and experience, but I'm exactly at the point that I'm at now because of a result of my experiences. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to start off as a, as a two out of 10. Just figure out how you go to a three and then a four and then a five. And that's one of the things I talk about in Your Hired is, is this idea of the perfect 10 you know, where are you on that scale compared to where you want to be as a 10? And then just figure out the steps to move yourself along it um, rather than this, this sense of uh, entitlement of rocking up and going straight into the, the dream job and, and having a podcast and having a website and a consultancy. And, you, you know, it, it's amazing. I, I didn't start a, a website and start presenting probably until I'd been coaching for a, a number of years and even then I was embarrassed because I'm like I've not even got anything to say at the moment and there's been big blocks of recent years where I've not posted a, a website post for 18 months two years because I'm like I've not got anything to add at the moment so you know I'll only add if it improves on the silence um, 
so yeah, there's, I'm going round and round a bit, but no, uh, no, you're, I mean, yeah. it, it, there's a couple of things just, you know, and I want to make sure, cause again, I, I like to recap it for the listeners cause I don't want them to miss everything. Guys like you put so much, uh, great information out there in such a dense thing. I want to make sure nobody misses it. You are, you are spot on like that. You, that this is a process and guys, if you missed it, Nick mentioned you're hired. That's his book. Um, how, how many years ago did you write it, Nick? Oh, um, I think it was around 2013. It's due a revamp and it's, it's a charity book. Uh, so I, I, you, this won't set me on the Bahamas with a big cigar. This is, this was written, uh, all the proceeds go to a cancer charity, um, and a, a foundation for the UK strength and conditioning coach for the emerging practitioner of the year. They get a bursary to then travel and, and spend time with the coach. Um, so even if you don't like what I'm saying now, buy the book because it goes to a very, very good cause. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and if anybody thinks anybody gets rich uh, because of the book, <laughs> they, they need to do their history. Um, but yeah. I, I do want to play devil's advocate on one thing though, because you Go are on. right. You are right about the age thing, but at the same time, and I'm just going to talk about some things here, and people can say n equals one and outliers, but I do think it needs to be um, recognized. We we do have industries where you know. Like, you know, age uh, is, it can be celebrated in multiple ways. Like Forbes magazine annually does a 30 under 30, you know, and yeah. you look at people like Steve Jobs founded Apple at 21. Um, yeah. Yuri Gagarin made history as the first person in outer space at 27. Uh, yeah. Just a few, Isaac Newton created calculus at 23. Like the guy created calculus, Niels Bohr published a revolutionary theory of the atom at 28. Uh, final one. And, and we could go on and on, but, Charles Lindbergh flew solo over the Atlantic Ocean at, at uh, I think, 26 or 28. And then I said final one, but I think this one's interesting too. <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte conquered Italy at 26 and was one of the best field generals. So I'm going to push back respectfully because there are also, while there's no doubt that most people, if they're open-minded, I do think we have to put that disclaimer in there. If they're open-minded and, and humble and continue to expose themselves to different things, they get better with age, but there yeah. are some people out there that oh, are just oh, flat yeah. out dinosaur dickheads. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and at the other hand, like they'll act as gatekeepers for young people that are really doing good things that really, you know, listen, man, I hope when I'm 70, I have the opportunity to find a coach at 25 or 30 or whatever, that's doing something really unique. And, Cause I want to help them because I experienced the opposite at some points in my career. I got a lot of yeah. that. Oh, you're this age, piss off, or you shouldn't have written a book. Like almost yeah. kind of this um, uh, faux intellectualism gatekeeper. You haven't earned your. So, wh where do you draw the line with that, though? Too. Oh, you make a strong case there, Brett. I have to give you that one, mate. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Um, and actually, when you started going through those sorts of lists, it, it sprung to mind that actually, uh, whilst whilst I do believe you need skin in the game and experience, absolutely. I can see where maybe some of those elder statesmen um, perpetuate that because it maintains their their status and their job security. Because uh, I, I know when I was doing Taekwondo, I got very nervous of the 17, 16, 17-year-olds coming into the squad because I'm like, Jesus, these kids are kicking my ass. And that might be what it's like a little bit in, in our profession and other professions when you see um, – a 21-year-old graduate coming out and absolutely nailing it. Um, I think it would be easy for older coaches to go, oh, yeah, you haven't done your time. So I, I think you're right. Um, there there are exceptions to that where, where um, you, can, you can 
get your experience very quickly. And I think what I'm seeing more is people are taking note about career planning and they're not just graduating now um, and then starting to get their experience in. They're realising that at high school, going into college, they're getting experience all the time. They're not just working at Starbucks to, to pay the bills. They are actually going out there and coaching. So I think the smart ones, the young smart ones, can accelerate their their careers if they do the right things um, in their formative years. Which brings us back to full circle of you talking about everything you did early on, right? Like I think it is important for us to tell them what those right things are because that's they're constantly told, you know, coaches. And again, I use the term coach and leader synonymously, but I think people are constantly told throughout their career, you know, do the right things, do this, do that. But it's always kind of this uh, esoteric. There's never really an identification of what the right things are. It's, hey, like, go seek a multitude of experiences and not not just with people, but a multitude of experiences that give you less access to resources, more access to resources, various logistical constraints, coaching in different countries, um, being uh, tested under fire. I think sometimes people also have to create these things for themselves because they, oh, may, live, yeah. they may work in a place that, and that's one thing like we're doing with Art of Coaching Apprenticeships is we're grouping people up, coaches with different experience levels. Let's say somebody like you. And then yeah. let's say somebody who's a 19-year-old personal trainer at Lifetime Fitness, uh, because that varied perspective does matter. No matter what you guys um, see eye to eye on or know, and no matter what you want to scoff at or what he, you know, and, and then maybe you're paired with a 74-year-old coach and you guys are put in situations where it's like, all right, now there's 10 minutes. You have to teach this kind of uh, drill or exercise, or you have to do this kind of thing. And by the way, the three people that you're teaching are distracted in these five ways. What are you going to do? And yeah. I, I think that's kind of been lost. I think that we, we get so caught up in practice design for athletes or session design, but I, I really don't think coaches are designing these kinds of environments for themselves to. And so that's a big thing that we're trying to do now. Do you think there's value in that? And don't worry about shitting on my idea, but do you think there's idea in like this kind of coaching school and training ground for yeah. aspiring leaders? Well, without a doubt. Um, um, I, I, I'm a massive fan of Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, Build It oh, yeah. and They Will Come. And that, and that was one of the things that I, you know, I brought. I, I, Eric Cressy had to get a passport because Eric Cressy had never been out of the UK, uh, sorry, out of the US before he came to a, do a two day workshop for me. Really? Yeah, it, it was hilarious. He, he, <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a brain and a great guy, but he'd never been out of America. So he was kind of like a rabbit caught in the headlights when he came to stay with me for, t- for three days. Um, but that was because I couldn't afford to go and see Eric in the States. So I thought, what should I do? I'll create a conference. I'll bring Eric across. I'll speak at the conference, which means everyone has to listen to me at some point. Knowing full well they won't come and listen to me, they'll come and listen to Eric. Uh, but I positioned myself midway through the second day, so they had to listen to me. Um, so, yeah, I, I like this idea of like creating your own stuff. Um, so I have... You know, when we talk about career planning and not leaving things to chance, I've got like eight areas that I challenge coaches on. So like vision, have you got a plan first and foremost? Do you know what you're going to do to get yourself to the position that you want to be? Whether it's, it doesn't have to be super detailed, but what are your steps? So have they got a vision? Um, when I talk about career, just making a, like a check that like, would you do this for free? And I'm not suggesting, we're not talking about internships and stuff like that, but do you wake up? 
buzzing to go to work and enjoying it. Because if you don't, then sport's probably not the place for you to be working because it's, it's, it's relentless. Um, that, that beginner's mindset around professional development, you know, do you like to read? Do you like to study? Do you like to go and talk to people? Um, have, have you got that? Um, do you walk the talk? Are you an example? And I'm not saying that we've all got to have a double bicep pose and being an Adonis and tops falling off every Tuesday, but at least, you know, even at 47, I go out and ride my bike. I, I lift. Um, I still look decent, not, not amazing, but I do believe you've got to walk the talk. Um, practical intelligence. Have you, have you got your hands dirty or are you just a bookworm? Um, intellectual intelligence. Are you one of these guys that's bluffing it because you, just have got really good rapport but you haven't got the underpinning knowledge uh have you got a network whether it's a real network that you've that you've nurtured over time or even and this is a bit of a wacky one that's in the book creating your own mastermind group of people that you you know from any genre or or any environment you know let's say Richard Branson I've not met him but maybe what would Richard do in this in this circumstance if I was faced with that you could create your own mastermind group without even meeting these people and figure out what they would do in those situations. And then communication, you know, you might be the, the best uh, practitioner, but can you actually get that message across? So they're, they're sort of like my eight areas that I challenge people on. And then within those areas, I get them to rate themselves again, one to 10. And it's just a simple sort of gap analysis, you know, so you look for where the gaps are. And if it's on your network, okay, let's spend some time developing and nurturing your networking skills, which I hated doing. But, you know, let's go to a, a conference and let's go and speak to someone and let's have breakfast with another person and let's, you know, work on that. So there's too many people, Brett, that have zero plans um, and have no, just as you said, I've got the best sophisticated wave undulating annual plan for an athlete that takes them over four years to get to Olympic Games, but they have no idea of what their plan is to progress them through their career over four years. Sure. No, I th- and I'm going to, uh, yeah, no, I want to recap that for the audience too, to make sure that one, I heard you and that everybody got it in case audio cut out. So your eight areas, vision, um, would you yeah. do this for free? Beginner's mindset, walking the talk, practical yeah. intelligence, getting your hands dirty, the actual intellectual capacity of doing the research and knowing your technical aspects of it network or a mastermind, which I think is huge, by the way, I, I invested in, in kind of a mastermind. And that was something that was absolutely friggin' frightening to me because it was a massive financial investment. Um, but it is absolutely something that was worth its weight in gold because you just really have people that what I found is the more you invest in stuff like that, the more you get around other serious people. Right. Yeah. And like, like when I, if I went to things that were just free and we talked about this on an earlier episode, yeah, you know, you'd still kind of you, you'd get stuff from it because it's always dependent on your ability to extract. But what you find is when people put a lot on the line financially, they are way more determined to get more out of it, and so they go all in, right? Because they yeah. realize like there's a true financial loss here if I don't make the most of it. So I agree wholeheartedly with that. That's a big reason we started the coalition at Art of Coaching, and then communication, right? Were those the eight areas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you hit it. Yeah. Cool. And the gap analysis off of those of saying, hey, how do I weigh these? Right. Like Nick said, yeah. you, you may be really good at the practical intelligence, the intellectual capacity. Maybe you're doing your research or coaching every day, but maybe you're so, quote unquote, in the trenches that you do realize that the greater network is missing. Like maybe your only friends are yeah. connected with other strength coaches and you have a shit 
physio network, or maybe you even have a shit uh, business network of saying like, I don't know how I'm going to retire. And so I think that very network is, is huge there. Anything you want to add on that, Nick? Yeah, I, I think it's just, <clears throat> there are times when you need to work on your strengths. Absolutely. But if you think of it like a barrel with, with the struts on the barrel, um, you can you can fill that barrel with water as much as you like. But if one of those struts is, is shorter than the other, it's still going to leak. So I think, um, you know, you look at your gap analysis, you figure out where the biggest gap is, where you're leaking the most uh, water, and you try and plug that, you know, while still working on the areas that you're good at. Because we, we have to accept that we've all got um, – uh, qualities that we're really good at. I'm probably not the strength guy. I'm probably not going to go into a sport that is pure, you know, let's squat and deadlift and get massive and go heavy. That's probably not my forte, but I'm still going to uh, work on that area. But I know it's probably one of my weaker areas, um, but I, I'll still work on it, but I'll focus on some of the other uh, spaces that I need to be in. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Well, Nick, you gave us a ton, man, and I've taken a lot of your time, but I want to make sure people can reach out to you. And I know you're an expert uh, getting off the grid. You actually make me envious <laughs> at your ability to to do that and disconnect. I mean, I think uh, you set, you probably have the benchmark in terms of setting professional boundaries while still giving your all to uh, people when, when you are on the grid and everything. But if people want to learn more, and we've talked about your book and, and uh, you're hired and how they can get that, but if, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way to go about it, brother? Yeah, I think um, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, then uh, the website is nickgrantham.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Coach Nick G, although uh, increasingly on Instagram. Instagram is a little bit different. It's Z-E-R and then it's a 0226. So you can find me on, on any of those. Um, and yeah, just if, if people want to, I'm pretty good at getting back in touch with people as well. Uh, I'm not one of these dickhead coaches that, that never speaks to people. Um, so if you've got good questions or need information, uh, reach out and I'll try and help if I can. Love it. And guys, as always, I'll make sure and have all that contact information so you don't have to worry about it if you're driving and you couldn't write it down or you couldn't hear it. It'll be in the show notes. And so uh, just make sure that you always go back and reflect on all these show notes and, and get in touch with these people because they are really, really gracious with their time. This is not information you're going to be able to get you know, anywhere else all the time. And, and they put themselves out there and are super candid in a medium that is going to be around far longer than any of us. So Nick, really respect you. Appreciate you, brother. And talk to you soon. Cheers, man. man. Speak to you soon. Oh, you're still listening. Listen, I'm glad that you stuck around for a little bit. I want to make sure you guys know about the newsletter that I put out each month. I'm not somebody that tries to inundate uh, your inbox or anything like that. So you don't have to worry. You're not going to hear from me every day. I have a job and family responsibilities, much like all of you. But I do put out a newsletter that has helpful links. Uh, it'll showcase new episodes, new events. It'll tell you where I'm going to be and, and what I'm going to be speaking on. So if you're interested, make sure to go to the show notes or you can go to artofcoaching.com backslash start. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash start. Join the newsletter. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with everything. I announce anything I do there first. It always gets announced through the newsletter first and then social media and everything else. So artofcoaching.com backslash start. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you joining me.